From Hollywood, NBC brings you Hedda Hopper. Hedda Hopper, who daily reports to 30 million readers in America and eight foreign countries, now reports to you on the air. Here is Hedda Hopper's Hollywood. From the desk by the window, looking right down on Hollywood and Vine. Hello, everybody. Look over my shoulder while I write my column. We'll have news about famous people and personal visits with Andy Devine, Arlene Dahl, Mario Lanza, and Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Okay, let's go. The California Democrats are united at last and have chosen as their theme song, Jimmy Doesn't Live Here Anymore. <laughs> Tallulah Bankhead telephoned me from New York yesterday to ask where she should send me a letter. Just address me Hollywood, I replied. Oh, she exclaimed. Tallulah Bankhead America gets me. <laughs> Deborah Carr, after spending seven months in Rome making Quo Vadis and Four in Africa with thrilling King Solomon's Mines, arrives in New York on Tuesday. She'll be home for Thanksgiving. Mrs. Bob Hope and Mrs. Uh, Mrs. John Wayne, John Wayne's former wife, flew to Rome today for a holy year visit and an audience with the Pope. Betty Grable in her next picture will dance with 15 men, all over 50. All ex-Bodeville Hoopers. Contrary to reports, Siegel Chapman and Tom Rogers will not be married this weekend. They say it's news when dog bites man. Well, I ran into just such a reversal of events when I went out to see the beautiful Arlene Dahl. And before I could open my mouth, she said, Hedda, got any news you could give me? Now, this calls for a statement. And believe you me, I didn't waste any time putting the bite on her for it. Well, Hedda, I'm a columnist, too. I'm writing a beauty column for the Chicago Tribune, and I've got to have news. Not for me, honey, you don't. <laughs> you know, when a girl is lucky enough to be halfway good-looking, some people think she can't even read, let alone write. But I'm trying to prove differently. You know, we all want to be beautiful. And an actress really has a break. She's had to make a business out of her looks. So, why not share some of the tricks of the trade that she's learned? And there are plenty of secrets, Hedda. Every star I've talked to is letting me pass on her personal beauty tips. So here I go. Oh, and by the way, Hedda, come next spring, you're going to be my authority on how to choose an Easter hat. I am? I mm -hmm. am? <laughs> well, at least I got a snip of news out of you. Ingrid Bergman is expected in Hollywood during the Christmas holidays to visit her daughter, Pia. Also, to test the public's reaction to her being here. If it's good, she'll stay and make another picture for Howard Hughes. Rossellini is not expected to travel with her. Charleston Heston, whom Hal Wallace discovered and put into the dark city, tells me that his wife, Lydia Clark, is giving up her acting career to join him here. And it's about time. In seven years, they've been together 11 consecutive days. In spite of all criticism, it's true that Hollywood has made better pictures during the past 20 years. Our techniques have improved, so has the training of our actors. But seeing a movie on television has suddenly hit me like a blow. That there's one branch of Hollywood that's remained with its feet stuck in the mud for longer than 20 years. I'm referring to Westerns. The center of this kind of movie making has always been the San Fernando Valley. And so I asked the mayor of Van Nuys down to my office to defend his local business. 
Oh, Patsy, has his honor arrived yet? He's right here, Miss Hopper. You bet I am, Hatter, with bells on. And he's a fine. <laughs> What'd you expect? I'd hear three words of that clap, trap, and run. There he goes. He went that away. <laughs> now, Andy, I'm not attacking you. I'm... No, 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 no. I'm just here to defend myself, Hatter. You know, I heard about this son of yours getting somebody down here to argue with. Sure, share the soapbox. Andy, go on. Give me an argument. Oh, it's wonderful. You know, I love to argue, particularly when you're so wrong. <laughs> well, I say Westerns haven't changed one iota. They still give us the same old stories in the same old way. I'll swear that in Westerns I can recognize the same wheel coming off the same stagecoach at the same spot, in the same mountain pass. And rolling up against the same pine tree. Well, it's a pretty dangerous piece of road there. <laughs> Andy, be serious. Even the dialogue hasn't changed. Oh, now, yes, it has, had it. You know, instead of talking, the hero sings now, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of actors, you know, I heard that crack you made about new techniques and training. But not in westerns. How many thousand have you been in, Andy? It's the same people, same characters. Well, we develop new styles. Sometimes the villain wears a black hat, sometimes a white one. <laughs> sometimes he even shaves. You know, I'll grant you, training and voice technique is important. What? What, what did you say? Well, Hattie, it's not easy to work up a good Texas drawl a lot harder than those pear-shaped Harvard accents. But at least the people who play in other type films pay attention to... Well, I don't want to be personal, Andy, but... but... Oh, no, I don't mind. My voice is the smallest part of me. You can say that again. <laughs> you can say well, that again, Andy. At least it's bigger and better than the voice of the second most popular Western star. Who do you mean? Trigger! <laughs> Andy, will you be serious? I am, Hattie. You know, you're criticizing Westerns because they haven't changed. Well... What's so good about changes? You know, that's my whole point. I say Westerns are good because they haven't changed. You say what? You know, I wondered what kind of an argument you'll give me. Now, you listen to me. Since the earliest days of the theater, there's been certain kinds of entertainment that people love. Have you ever realized the similarity between Westerns and Grand Opera? Brunhilde arrives again. <laughs> or Greek drama and Grecian dramaturgy. You know, um... There was never changes. Either the stylized mass, the choral antiphony, the, well, the people... Ye gods, a fugitive from the Yale Drama Workshop. <laughs> <laughs> in Van Nuys, California, and I'm in earnest. You know, there's a noticeable resemblance between Westerns and other art forms, too. From Balinese dancing to Chinese opera, all those forms are traditional. Everything is always done the same way. And on purpose, Westerns are stylized and... That's the way people want them to be. Sure, the villain is always bad. The hero gets him at the end. Everything's always the same, but did you ever hear of a Western that didn't pay off at the box office? Well, no, but that doesn't mean I have to vote for all of them. I don't like Greek drama or Chinese opera. In fact, all this claptrap of yours can't even make me say they're the same as Westerns. Well, now, Hedda, how about fairy tales? They're the same, aren't they? Good guy wins. Ogres and giants always lose, and people live happily forever after. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, are you going to stand up here and tell me you don't like fairy tales? Huh? That other people don't like them? Well, that... That, that you're going to go home and tell your grandchild that you voted against fairy tales? <laughs> 
We got her, partners. We're saved. Miss Hopper. Miss Hopper. Miss Hopper. She went that away again. <laughs> Remind me that in westerns the woman never wins. The hero always kisses his horse. <laughs> Carl Brisson, who has the Macombo customers hanging from the rafters, will be with us next Sunday. Walt Disney's two daughters will make their television debut with their father on Christmas Day. I caught Walt on the set, and he said, You're now looking at a real ham in Wonderland. Hedy Lamar, <clears throat> traveling under an assumed name, arrived at the New York airport wearing dark glasses. At 11 p.m., a thousand people were waiting, but they were members of Dick Cantino's fan club. They'd come to meet him, not her. <laughs> Seven years ago, walking up a driveway to a party, I heard a glorious, brilliant voice. Well, I just took it for granted that what I heard was a phonograph record, because a voice like that could only belong to one person, an immortal tenor who'd been dead for years. So you can imagine my surprise when I found I was wrong, that the singer was very much alive, young and completely unknown. I stayed there until 6 a.m. just listening to him sing. Yes, it was the greatest thrill of discovery I've ever had in Hollywood. I had the same thrill all over again just the other day while visiting on an The same young man was singing the same song, but this time as the highlight of a picture in which he was starred, a picture Hollywood had never been able to make before because there was no one who could play or sing the role of that immortal tenor. And I do mean Enrico Caruso. And the young man with looks, heart, and voice to do the great Caruso is Mario Lanza.
Instead of talking about that party seven years ago, you know I didn't put much stock in what you kept telling me through the evening. You mean that someday you'll be let out of the army? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean that I'd, well, that I'd be doing what I am now, playing the part of Caruso. Sometimes I'm a real genius at making predictions. Why, once I even bet on Army's football teams. <laughs> Nobody's a sure thing, Hedda, but with you on the bench plugging away from me all this time, I... With Midnight Kiss, the toast of New Orleans, I'd say you have as bright a future as anyone in Hollywood. All your own, too. All right, Hedda, but you will let me sing you a song, won't you? My own thanks to somebody who's believed in me. <laughs> My heart sang, too. A success story like Mario Lanza's couldn't happen to a nicer man. But a voice like his happens only once in a lifetime. After I wrote that Clifton Webb was unhappy with not working, his boss, Darrell Zanuck, took me literally and sent him to England so he wouldn't be bored. Now Mr. Belvedere would like to continue his vacation perpetually on pay. 
When Paramount learned Road to Paris couldn't be used as the title of the next Bing and Bob's film, it was changed to Road to Hollywood. I suggested Road to Ruin, and they almost threw me out of the studio. <laughs> Teddy Gwynn, the famous Santa Claus of Miracle on 34th Street, will ride with me in the parade that turns Hollywood Boulevard into Santa Claus Lane on Thanksgiving Eve. Sooner or later, everybody in Hollywood takes a crack at Shakespeare. They gird up their loins and have a go at the bard. Sometimes the results astonish me, and I sure was as I walked down the hallway at NBC, and the voice of Juliet came floating through an open door. Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Oi, Ronnie, wake up. Come back, where are you? Well, down if I know, Benita, somewhere in the cellar, I suppose. What on earth is going on? Well, I'll just sneak into this control booth. That's deep enough for you, Nat? It's deeper than you think. Uh, that's a joke, darling. Should we bet it? Hello, Heather. Uh, pardon me, just a second. Ronnie, the echo seems to all be all right there, but Wayne... Out in the studio, beyond the control room, yeah, I just right. walked into were Ronnie and Benita Coleman, one of our most charming couples with one of the most delightful radio shows on the air. A show that's been nominated for the Peabody Award as the best of the year. And yet, instead of rehearsing as the hall... Would anyone like to hear the shooting of Dan McGrew? <laughs> well, say something, Nat. I can't see you in there. Nat Wolf, for heaven's sake, would you please tell me... <laughs> sit down, Heather, sit down. I'm only the director. This is a quiet rehearsal. Now, as soon as the orchestra... Nat, like... if you're so keen on that echo effect, why don't we do the scene of the tomb, you know, with Friar Lawrence? Yes, so how about the Indian love call? That's got a fine echo. <laughs> I'll be calling you... That's enough. Cut it out. Back to work. You're the halls of Ivy now. Oh, them. Well, put on your cap and gown, darling. But doing Shakespeare, a college president and his wife. Oh, Nat, please, before you begin. Play within a play within a play. It's nothing so complicated, Head, as when they were younger, that's all. The hall? Of course. Ready, music? When they were young? Well, it's how they became the halls, practically. It's a little flashback scene we've used to explain it. Something they remember long before they were married. Victoria, I've always detested make-believe. Well, wait a minute, Doc. Mm. Wait a minute. Didn't give us the cue. Oh. Oh, that's my fault, Nat. I kept you talking. I say, just put one of those blonde actresses had him cornered up there in the control booth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, need any help, Nat? <laughs> Don't tell them it's me. Besides, I'm so flattered. And I want to hear this. Now, look. These are the halls of Ivy, children. Consider yourself cued with malice. And now please cover yourselves again with ivy. It's a poisonous remark. All right. All right, let's go. First cue to the music. Second to you, Ronnie. Victoria, I've always detested make-believe, haven't you? Oh, darling, you're asking someone who was once an actress. And you haven't always detested it. I can remember at least one instance when you enjoyed it immensely. At any rate, you seem to. When was that? Oh, backstage one night in London soon after we met. Well, of course, I remember. It was in your dressing room. I happened to mention that I'd never been behind the footlights and you took me onto the stage. Mm -hmm. I stumbled, stumbled over a prop on the way. There was a bench from the garden scene. And then you turned on the moon. <laughs> that was an inspiration. And we even had music. There was a street musician playing somewhere. You know, I can still hear the tune. Fancy you remembering. I didn't know you'd even heard it. Side of the 
mysterious and romantic than from the audience side. Think of all the fun and the fine words, the music and the beauty that have been carried across those footlights. Yes, and the hard work and the heartache that don't get across. Listen. Listen to the echoes, full of ghosts. Heavens, Vicky, what power, what opportunity is given to the people of the day? <laughs> you must have a touch of the hand in you. Oh, I have. <laughs> in the privacy of my room, I played most of the roles created by Mr. Shakespeare. <laughs> If I say so myself, my Hamlet leaves nothing more to be done in that direction. <laughs> and my Romeo is good for a dozen curtain calls at every performance. <laughs> What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called. Ah, Mr. Shakespeare didn't know his semantics. It might have made a difference to Juliet if his name were, say, Hezekiah. <laughs> <laughs> Romeo doth thy name. And for that name which is no part of thee, take all myself. I take thee at thy word. Call me but love and I'll be new baptized. Henceforth I never will be Romeo. I think he embraces Juliet then. Oh, no, no. She, she's up on the balcony and, and he's in the orchard below. At least uh, that's the way Shakespeare wrote it. Well, there's such a thing as taking stage directions too literally, don't you think? Such a love scene really calls for something better than bellowing at each other from a distance. I think you're right. Romeo should be up on the balcony by that time, with one arm around her. Not both? But he, um, he, he, he holds onto the railing with the other. <laughs> no, it's something like this. That works out rather well, doesn't it? With love's light wings did I or perch these walls. For stony limits cannot hold love out, and what love can do, that dares love attempt. Victoria, yes. uh, may I ask you something? Oh, yes. Um, uh, uh, do you think Bacon really wrote Shakespeare's plays? <laughs> Does that really concern you right now? No. No, that, that was shyness speaking, not I. Victoria, I... Listen. Listen to the song that man in the street is playing. Oh, yes. That's the old, old apple song. Yes. Straight from the hedgerows and the heart of England. I once heard the words, but I've forgotten them. Oh, you remember. I'll give my love an apple without any call. I'll give her a house without any door. I'll give her a palace wherein she may be. Oh, yes, and, and now I remember how it ends. My heart is the palace wherein she may be, and she may unlock it without any key. the halls of ivy. I left without saying hello to Ronnie and Benita. I knew they could play Shakespeare any time they want or anything else. And they have and they will as the Colemans. Are you surprised that such talented people as President and Mrs. Hall of Ivy College haven't been starred in a movie? Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. There are several studios nibbling at them right now. And as I left the halls of Ivy, I thought that yearly hundreds of thousands of youth are afforded the privilege man has fought for, the right to learn, the right to think. And what's happening? 
Is the youth of the land being told why and how they have such facilities? Are the youngsters being taught to revere and guard these precious privileges? Sometimes we wonder, especially when men of learning, teachers, refuse to raise their right hands and take a simple oath of loyalty to the nation which provides them with the opportunity to teach. Has academic freedom become the right to teach hatred of our way of life? Does academic freedom mean the right to teach an ideology foreign to us? It does not. In communism, there is no education as we know it. In communism, men do not think. The state thinks for them. Let's make certain that the misuse of this term, academic freedom, doesn't lead us down a cockeyed alley from which there's no return. The alley to Moscow. Next week, NBC will again bring you Hedda Hopper with the latest headlines from Hollywood and the stars that make them. A surprise visit with a national figure, a ringside table at the Macombo to hear the songs of Carl Brisson. And to argue with Miss Hopper and to bring us a dramatic highlight from All About Eve, Betty Davis. Good night, everybody. Make a date for next Sunday for Hedda Hopper's Hollywood. From the ringside seat, the desk by the window looking right down on Hollywood and Vine. The Hedda Hopper Show is an FMB production directed by Gil Faust with music by Frank Worth. This is Harlow Wilcox bidding you good night.